Last week, I started a uh, new series. We're talking about stewardship. I entitled it to follow Jesus because that's the big point I want us to see is that our allocation of resources that God has given us is inextricably linked to our person and our personhood as followers of Jesus. So of the myriad of things that we can do to follow Jesus, one of them is how we steward the resources that he has given us. So last week, I embarked on a great guilt trip to try to tell you that we need to have compassion for our world. And that the, the thrust of that guilt trip is that we need to broaden our vision to see the world around us, to see the needs of the kingdom and how we can use what we have to be able to extend that compassion. We, last week we talked about quite a few different verses, but this week I want us to narrow that focus and we're going to talk about this concept of generosity toward our nature, what it means for us to be truly generous to those around us. So generosity is a thing. And this week we're going to do that by the examination of a text. If you feel up for it, uh, it's going to be 2 Corinthians chapter 8 is where we're going to land in your blue Bible. That's going to be, I think, page 820. I tried to peek earlier. That sounds about right. But talking about this idea of generosity, and I think the way that we see generosity today might have added some layers over and above what the scriptures have taught. So it's not necessarily that it's wrong, it's not necessarily that it would be sinful, but that I think it's kind of a co-opting of how we view generosity. I would say generally, the people of God have an equation that meets this definition of generosity. That generosity is our compassions plus our resources, and really I was thinking about this, and I I kept it anyways because I was like, maybe it's minus our resources which equals generosity. But we see it as the overlapping of those things, you know, that there's a need that I feel needs to be met, that I see what I have as a means by filling that need, and therefore that is how I become generous. But what I've witnessed, and the reason I want to talk about this series, uh, you know, and we talk about stewardship, is that we've kind of just added some layering to that that we've kind of baptized into Jesus, but it might not be there. And part of that, really, that I've noticed is that there's a, uh, there's a prioritization that's given to many Christian finance worlds about the evils of debt. And I don't know if you've ever been through a certain program that highlights how evil debt is, how sinful it is, and that the preeminent need for you as a follower of Jesus is to get out of debt. And there are Bible verses that people cite that say, you know, everybody says you should not get into debt. As I mentioned last week, the structure behind that is a little misguided because they did not have debt in the way that we have debt today. When you had a need back in the first century and you were unable to fill it, you would choose to sell yourself into slavery to somehow accommodate for that. So, and we can see the scriptural trajectory that slavery was a bad thing, and therefore, you know, to try to say, hey, stay out of debt, you can see the emphasis of it. They could not imagine the idea that we would live in a country to where there are actually tax benefits for you to own a house versus rent. So there's this thing that maybe some of you are younger and you haven't dealt with this, maybe you're in the midst of dealing with it, or maybe you've... Like mean you've owned like three houses and it gets there. But it comes to the point is that you decide whether to rent or to own just because there's this theory of how much am I going to have to pay and then what are the tax benefits on the back side of it. 
what we're, when we talk about this idea of debt, the problem seems to be when we talk about faith, uh, what do I want to say? When we talk about Christian ways to approach this, it's always like, hey, your number one goal is to get out of debt and then you can do what you've been released to do. And it just makes me think I've been flying a lot the past couple years, but every, every time I hop on a plane, they, they give the spiel, right? And you kind of don't listen to it, but every once in a while you pick back up to it. But the one is, my favorite is, is like, make sure that you put on your own mask before helping the children around you. And I just love just that message, right? Like, <laughs> for some reason, it's like when I fly, it's the inverse of everything that is that good about humanity, right? It's like, look, you can't help somebody else until you take care of yourself and then you have the opportunity to do it. And I just think about what valuable seconds are being wasted as I go to this before I help my kid. It's just like, hey, honey, I love you, I raised you, but I'm putting my own damn mask on first before you get yours, right? Like, it's inverse, and I'm going to tell you, as, as awkward as that sounds, I believe, I believe that this is how we in Christendom have reinterpreted generosity. It's trying to solve myself before moving forward. And the one thing that scriptures say all, all over is that we are supposed to be generous in any and every way and that has little bearings on where we're at in life. So that's why I want to go to the book of 2 Corinthians. And usually teach through stories and texts in the Bible. So I'm not trying to you know, thrust us in the middle of a book right here. But I, I love reading the books of Corinthians. Because we talk about how glorious the first century church was. And this church was so far from glorious it was disgusting. Right? Like this was the church to where a dude was bragging about having an extramarital affair with his mother-in-law. This is the church to where when communion time comes around, people are getting flat liquored up, you know, remembering the body and blood of Jesus. This is not a church that had their act together. And it's interesting, when we look at Corinth on a map, you can see it's circled right down here. It's in where is modern, uh, modern day Greece, but within a biblical sphere, this is split up into a couple different regions. Okay, there's this area to the north, which is called Macedonia, Right, we see it up here, and then coming down here towards the isthmus, right here, there's Ismithia for that very purpose. The, the area of Achaia, which is where Corinth in the book of Corinthians was noted. This is what's important for us to understand about the story that we're going to go into. There were two different major kingdoms, if we can remember from history, that reigned in these dec in the centuries before Jesus was born to the centuries after. The first one was Macedonia, which we knew, know as the Greek Empire under Alexander the Great. Correct? And this was an amazing empire that Alexander built because of all the structure he added, because of the commonality of language, which was Greek, which is what the New Testament is written in. It changed the entire course of the Mediterranean world and the rest of human history. But that did not last much longer past Alexander's life. And during the early uh, years before Jesus was born, the Roman Empire emerged. So the reason why this is important within the, what we're getting ready to read is that we're going to read from the book of Corinthians, and even though Corinth started off as a Greek town, it really struggled into great times of poverty until the Romans came in and decided, look, this is a great located place, we're going to invest in it, and became a city of opulence and wealth and richness. 
whereas Macedonia, which previously had been the home of Alexander and had all that they could ever want because of where they were located at and the change in the empire, they now became a very impoverished area. And these two places, because of their proximity, were viewed as national, natural rivals. So the Macedonians didn't care much for the Corinthians, and the inverse wasn't true. Second Corinthians chapter 8, y'all. And we're going to start reading through this to see how our understandings of generosity might be mistaken. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God had given the Macedonian churches. So we see that Paul who is an apostle, but he's also a typical preacher. And the guilt that I employed last week was a tool to make us think about who we are. And similarly, I love that Paul does this, is because when he's just like, let me give you an illustration. I'm going to give you an illustration for the people that you probably dislike the most. Let me talk about the Macedonians to the north. And what he wants them to see when he's talking about the churches in Macedonia is he wants to explain to him them the grace, the grace that they have. Again, New Testament written in Greek. The work for grace is charis, or you know, if you want to just say charis if you want to, it does not matter. But it, what's interesting is that we have this word of grace, but in the Greek it was such a robust word that it had many, many different definitions and ways it could be used. But what Paul is trying to tell us about this unmerited gift, right? This, this blessing that your compatriots to the north had. I want to tell you about the grace of the Macedonians before you. And that is what we want to see, this whole, uh, the, the text we're going to go through. Grace is the umbrella under which this, the Macedonians sit and where Paul wants them to be. Okay, let's keep moving through this. Verse 2, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. In the midst of a severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Rich generosity. Okay, so that's what I've said we're talking about today, this idea of generosity. By the way, uh, I have a current gig, which is funny. I should probably disclose before when I was talking about debt. I actually peddle in debt, if you will. I try to get churches to go into further debt because that's what it gets me paid. But I will say this is that when I talk about that in the full disclosure is that my biggest conversations are talking to churches and saying, you don't want to go into that debt. And I actually had this conversation this week is that there was a church that wanted a million dollars more than they really could afford. And they had another lender that was getting ready to offer it. And I just said, look, isn't that like you guys aren't going to be able to handle this in a few years. And they said, we believe Jesus is doing amazing things. We're going to take the debt. And I'm just like, have a good time with that. Right. So when I talk about this, I, I know you, I'm trying to expose the seedy underbelly of my life, Burke, and I want you to know is that as I do this, I try to do well. Now, that's what's funny. Before this, I didn't peddle and stuff. I was in fundraising. You know what fundraising is, right? I tried to get people to give me their money. So it's like my whole life is just trying to milk this cash cow that sits before me. It's interesting when you work in fundraising, there are all these skills and there's all these rhythms that go along with it. And you, you want to be in the right place at the right time. That's how you get a gift from somebody. Like you have to be in the right place in the right time. Do you know that there is a time where people are more generous than they are at any other time of the year? Can you guess what time that is? 
We're getting ready to roll right into it. More people give more of what they have between Thanksgiving and Christmas than any other time the rest of the calendar year. Like in the fundraising world, this is, this is Super Bowl time coming up, right? Like you want that push from Thanksgiving to Christmas. If you're going to pe- get people to give, this is the time. Now, you've got to wonder why that is. I mean, one thing that happens is at the end of the year, people are getting lots of bonuses, you know, their, their bonuses. So they're like, look, I have this chunk of change. And sometimes if they're spiritually convicted, they're like, I guess I should give some of that back. Uh, you know, sometimes it is that they have planned toward that point of the year. It's like, hey, you know, I'm wrapping up my finances. Connected to that is that sometimes they're like, I need the extra tax deduction. So that generosity is not necessarily anything but just a a mechanism of their finance. Sometimes it's just like, look, I've had Hallmark Channel on for a long time. And I feel this tug in my heart that I need to do something wonderful. That that's a timeline of generosity. I say this because it's interesting what Paul says about the Macedonian churches right here. Is that it's not like, hey, Paul says, it's not like it was the end of the year and they're trying to get their tax deductions in. No, what Paul is saying is that in the midst of trial and poverty, they were generous. In the midst of trial and poverty, they were generous. This equation, I would say, counteracts very often how we work in our lives, right? We're saying, look, I just need to have compassion, I need to have stuff, and then I can be generous. But what the Macedonians do right here is they screw everything up. Because as we saw, they were in the midst of poverty. The poverty of the north was because there was a road that went right through Macedon. It was, a ma- it was a major, Macedonia, it was a major road. And because of the location of that road, there was always battles about people trying to win that road. So as a result, Macedonia was decimated. They had a poverty in the ancient world that was higher than almost anybody around them. But Paul was like, you know, look, these people, even though they're in the midst of, you know, struggles, you know, they can barely take care of themselves, and yet they have a generosity that I'm bragging to you about. Remember, who is he talking to here? The Corinthians. What do the Corinthians have? Roman money. So they have everything they could imagine. The Macedonians have nothing, but they are the generous people. How does that progress? Let's read the next couple verses, verses 3 through 5 of 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I testify that they gave as much as they were able, even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So again, he's back to complimenting the rivals right here and saying, let me tell you how amazing they are. Now, you know, when somebody is bragging on your enemy, you just do not appreciate it, right? As much as we want to, you know, say, you know, hate the game, not the player, we want to hate everybody because it's like, no, they are the bad people in my narrative. I don't want them to experience blessings. But what Paul is doing is trying to say, look, these people in the north that have nothing, who you revile, they are living it out well. I love this about it too is that Paul is basically saying, it's like, look, I, I, I didn't even want them to give. Do you see that in this text? It's not like I said, hey guys, you guys should give of yourselves generously. Paul's like, I kind of avoided the subject, and yet they pleaded. They were like, Paul, 
why aren't you asking us to give? And Paul's like, no, you guys don't have anything. You're in the midst of trials, extreme poverty. You don't need to give. And they're like, no, this is our calling. This is our time up here, our time down here. We need to give. Where do we give? In the midst of working with some of the churches, the most interesting one that I work with is there's a church that is the most affluent church in their city. It's a, it, and when I say they're the most affluent church, um, it's not like they are um, a, a advertised, like you know about this church. They, they, they have a website, but the website sucks. But they happen to be located in a geographic area where all like the highest paid people in their city live. So those people end up coming to church there. And it's interesting, it's like, <laughs> this is so different. We have a greeting team at Echo. They actually have to train their greeting team so that there's a network of people. When it's like somebody walked in, they're like, that is the president of this Fortune 500 company. And they're like, nobody talk to them. <laughs> they're like, don't greet them. Because those people are so used to being greeted. Why do they want to be greeted? Because everybody's like, that dude is loaded. Let's talk to that guy so we can get their money. So the church actually has an entire philosophy. It's like when they walk in, they figure who that guy is. If they know somebody who knows them, they send them specifically over to like talk with them and say, hey, welcome to church today. And the reason they do that is they want to make sure that Jesus is separate from their resources. That sounds weird. Like these are problems that I wish I could have to deal with. It's like, let's not talk to him because he's massively loaded. Here's the other thing that's great about this church, that it's just crazy. And I tell people this story and it's amazing. You know, they don't take up offering. And you're like, wait, we don't take up offering anyways. We have a box in the back or whatever. But no, they don't even have a box in the back. Nor do they have credit card. You can't give online to this church. Basically, they don't tell people how to give. They wait until those people approach the church. And I was like, why do you, that's like, seems like horrible for operations. They're like, dude, the people who give here give enough that we don't have to worry about it. But we don't want those people to think that we're coming in here trying to just see them as a dollar sign. It just cracks me up. Like, you know, first world problems, right? It would be like, hey, how do, how do we give? You don't, you don't have this. They're like, okay, now that you've asked, we'll tell you. This is exactly, however, on the opposite end of the spectrum, this is exactly what happened with the Macedonian churches. This is exactly what happened with them. Is that Paul didn't ask them about giving because he felt guilty. Because he's like, look, I can't ask people who have nothing to give and be generous. And this is why I would offer to you that what we're seeing, and we'll see in the next text, is that to be generous is an, just an inherent part of our Christianity. Because once we get a picture of what it means to have resources and steward them, that we ought to have no response but to be generous. Will you follow along with me? Uh, the next verses, verses 6 and 7 of Second Corinthians 8. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring about also the completion to this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and complete earnestness and in the love we kindled in you, See that you also excel in this grace of giving. It's a little confusing verses there just because of the way it's said. Let me say this. So now Paul is like, hey, remember what I told you about Macedonia? They were generous even though they were poor, even though they had trials. They were completely generous. And basically right here he goes, now it's your turn. 
<laughs> and not only is it your turn, I'm sending Titus your way. They're like, holy crap, here comes Titus. What's Titus going to do? Is he going to love us in the Lord Jesus? No, he's going to come and ask us for money. You know, Titus walks into the Corinthian church. He's like, don't make me scream. Don't make me shout. Turn them pockets inside out, right? Titus is like, you're going to give. You're going to give good. Now, what's interesting, again, is that notice the duality right here. The people who have nothing are living in generosity. The people who have everything have not been there. So Paul is kind of like saying, here, follow the example of these people that you don't like. They have nothing. They're living it up. But now it's your turn. And that's why I'm sending Titus. Titus is bringing the offering brag. He has put the uh, credit card information on the website like he is ready to collect some money, right? Why? Because of the work that needs to be happening in the kingdom, the greater kingdom. And I love this. In verse 7, he's just like, hey, you guys are killing it in so many different ways. You are showing the love of Jesus. You're telling people about the word of God, right? You're you're showing the immense love. What it means to be a Christian is to just be civil and love each other. You are doing this, but now here's this other component, which is generosity. And again, how does he say it? Does uh, Does he say, hey, I want you to give? No. What's he always crouching this within? It's the grace within the charis. Because why? You've received this gift and therefore you need to give back. And it's heightened up in the next verses as well here. Let's wrap up this text in verses 8 and 9. Paul says, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. I love this idea because then this is the final piece to generosity. Paul starts in, he's like, you need to be generous, but I'm not going to command you to do it. See, that's the thing that you want to do when you work in a church is that you have spiritual swag. You can flex and you can say, look, this is what the Bible says. You better do it because the Bible says that. And Paul says, look, this is not a command. I can't command you to be generous. And the reason you don't command generosity is because it should be natural response. It should be something flows from our desire to follow Jesus. And that's what Paul does in verse 9, is that he talks about Jesus. He connects it to the cross. And he says, look, think about Jesus, who left his robes on the throne of God and came down to earth. He left complete affluence to suffer abject poverty. He had nothing. Like we have, we, we don't have anything that exists from 2,000 years ago that Jesus ever owned. And the reality is he probably owned the clothes on his back and that was it. So he left wealth for poverty. And this is what Paul says, which is beautiful. And it is that poverty that makes us rich. Because the most valuable thing in the universe was given to us because of the generosity of Jesus. Our access to eternal glory, the wealth that comes with that, all happened because Jesus embraced nothingness. And yet, he was generous. And that's why we have to be generous toward our neighbor friends. The verse I showed at the beginning, I didn't through that. In, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 8, Jesus says, Freely you've received, so freely give. So we need to be generous. Now, this is the, 
interesting part of the, you know, the experience right here because I was like, how do I talk about this and say what I'm going to say and have you not think I'm like the most pompous, arrogant person in the building? And then I was like, you know what? It's unavoidable, so let's just go with it, right? Like, I'm just not even going to worry about it. But I will tell you is that sometimes preachers, teachers stand up and they tell you about spiritual struggles. Uh, and by the way, that's always the thing that they also used to tell us is like when your preacher's preaching about one thing over and over and over again, it's probably because they're struggling with that sin. Well, this, I will tell you, is kind of the inverse because the one thing that I have been able to do in my life is to try to practice generosity. And I can't claim that just because of who I am. I just lived in a household where my parents had the chance to, you know, really support our family to do everything we want. We started off not having much. They saw some success, but when we saw the success, there was no noticeable difference from either era because they were completely generous with what they had. Like, I remember for years when I, you know, I had an idea that my parents actually finally had the point to where they, you know, like, I'm in college. I'm like, I guess my parents actually have cash. And they were driving around in a beat-up, like, uh, Plymouth minivan, you know, the ones with the sliding doors that could hurt your fingers. You know, it's like, they just didn't care. They live lives of generosity. And I don't learn very much, but the one thing from them I learned is to be generous, and I try that in my life. And by the way, I should preface this. I, if she was here, t- Kelly's teaching in the back. I had to have this conversation this week. It's like, hey, this part of my message, I'm going to talk about me being like really generous. Is, does that just make me like, is that just the worst thing? And she's like, you need to tell them that you are way more generous than I could ever imagine to be. So quote her on this. Are we good with the Steve praise here? One extra level. What does that involve? Part of that involves is that without a doubt, ever since we've been married, even when we made absolutely nothing in those newlyweds year, can I get an amen from some of you all? You're like, there, there are zeros in this checking account, but they're on the front end, not the back end, right? Like, you know, when you're at that point, you're like, hey, we're just scraping to give by. It was without a doubt for us, we were always like, look, Jesus getting 10% of what we have, we gave that check. That's just not non-negotiable. Then you're like, how does it go above that? And it got to the point to where, you know, sometimes doing that, you want to, I was like, one year I started off, I was like, I'm going to track this. I want to track how much I'm actually being generous. And then I was like, that's a toolish thing to do. (laughs) And I noticed then at the end of the year, I was like, I think I give more. This is one of the benefits of the wife running our finances too, is that I'm just like, look, I'll be generous and, you know, hopefully we'll have enough for the bills more on the back end, right? Got to live generously. And that's been something that I've tried to do because I realized is that, It's what we have to have. All the resources we have, the ones that are given us to God, and they're all Jesus's. So what I hate is when it's like, well, once I get to X amount, right, when I have this much money in the account, then then I'll be generous. And I don't think that's how we need to treat this. Friends, we need to be generous in all things. And by the way, I'm talking about money. This also comes with our time. And the blessings of being part of this church is that I see that within you all too. But then you always will have the excuse not to be generous, right? When you're like, look, I've got to pay this bill or I've got the kids got braces coming or some of these things. There will always be opportunities to not be generous. But if we are really adopting that Jesus gave up everything to embrace poverty so that we could have access to that, you're like, look, I might die with nothing, 
but I'll be generous. Last parenthetical thing before I hit where I'm going too. This is generosity and philanthropy, excuse me. Philanthropy is huge today. Like you need to read like what Bill and Melinda Gates have given away. You know, it's easy to give away billions when you're worth more billions. But even like Warren Buffett, if you read, like his whole goal is that when he dies, like before he dies, all this stuff's going to be gone. Like he just gives and gives and gives. So this is a very hip thing to do. We're even seeing businesses started today where it's just like, oh, we're going to give away stuff. But friends, it's always got to come down to can you be generous regardless of what's at stake? So this is what I'm thinking. So this is what what we're going to do with this. The generosity challenge. The generosity challenge is a great thing, right? Because we've talked about all this theory, and that's the point, is to understand, like, look, the Bible wants us to be compassionate, but also wants us to be generous, but we need to be generous. We need to be generous, right? So, Bert, can I have you help me out? Jessica, you're closer to the aisle. Can I have you help me out, too? Can you come up here? So this is what I did. I went to the bank. Yeah, just come here. I went to the bank this week, uh, and I was like, lady, I need a bunch of fivers. Like, look at that. Like, I just wanted to roll into, you know, I showed Kelly... And I'm just like, look at me, look at me. So will you do me a favor, pass everybody out a $5 bill. Now, just to let you know, this, this is not Echo Church money, this is Stephen Kelly money, all right? So, and I, I was like, there's no way to do this without you thinking, it's just like, okay, the point of this is that Steve, that's why I wanted to tell you that I was generous before, so you're like, oh, he's already a jerkwad, but this is it. But no, you're getting five bucks of our money, all right? And by the way, lady, I kn- I'm going to watch your pockets when you're in the back because Jessica's like, I got fitty, you know? Um, so here's the point. I am, I- I'm giving you $5, and your goal with that $5 is to be generous. But here's the crux of this issue. The generosity challenge involves you bringing $5 to the table as well. So you're like, wait a second, now that's costing me $5. No math majors, because I've given you $5. So right now, we're at a net zero. Do you see how that works out? I'm not an accountant, but I deal with lots of money. Thanks for that. Now I'm going to have fives for weeks, all right? And then now if you're listening to your podcast, you're like, crap, I missed days the church gave out money in the middle of the sermon. That's the worst. Okay, I gave you five. You take five of your own. That's $10. That's $10 of generosity. Now, some of you are like, oh, that's just another thing I have to do. Some of you felt burdened by that. If so, then you're missing the point anyways, and you need this more than anybody else. Here's the deal, however, okay? Usually when you give this, people are just like, okay, now I have to go find somebody in need and go down to the streets that I haven't met, and that's generosity. No, because generosity has no implication on the recipient. And that's what we see in Macedonia, right? See, the people in Corinth needed to be taken up a collection for the Macedonians. The Macedonians were willing to send their money all over the kingdom of God, even though when they were the worst financially positioned to be able to help them out. So maybe you have $10 this week that you need to be generous to somebody within your realm. Maybe you need to be the guy who brings in donuts in the office in the morning, Right? Because think about that. Who don't love Monday morning donuts at work? Like, I don't even eat donuts anymore, but you're just always like, ah, just the thought of the sugar high will power me forever. Maybe you struggle with, like, tipping because you're like, I have, like, moral objections to tipping, right? Like, you know, Europeans don't do it. We shouldn't do it either. That's fine. 
But the one thing is, is that when, I'm at a, when I see somebody in a restaurant, I'm like, look, that person's been on their food. I've made their life a little miserable. I'm going to give them a little extra tip this week that will help them along the way. Maybe you just need to take somebody out for a coffee and sit there and let them enjoy it. In the scheme of things, five bucks, ten bucks, it's not a big thing. But what it does is it forces us to think about our generosity. And then you have to ask yourself, you know, is this really a big deal? You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's just a little bit of paper that has a president on it and is backed by somebody. Hey, hate to ruin the ending right here, but you'll be dead someday. And what are you going to do with all that stuff? Right? So when you have opportunity, you need to be generous. Can I ask one, can I ask one last caveat to the generosity challenge? It's, it's the same as Fight Club. Not so much that you have to punch people in the face, but that you don't need to talk about the generosity challenge. Because I've seen churches pull it this week. It's like, tweet out what you've done this week with the whatever you've given. Don't do that crap. Like, we're not trying to be generous so that other people know that we're being generous, right? This is about you cultivating it. Hey, blessings of the smaller church, I can hand out fivers all day, and really it's not a big dent in my existence, Right? But the blessings for us then is that we cultivate a spirit of generosity so that we become the people who give and give and give. I'll be honest, I've been in the church for years. I've, you know, we've never actually as Echo gone through 2 Corinthians. Um, but usually when, I'm, when you're talking money, you go straight to 2 Corinthians chapter 9 because that's the good stuff, right? We read some of this at the beginning of it. Because it's whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. Give it all you got. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every work. It's funny is that when you would preach on giving, that's where you go. But I will be honest, I never went back to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And what that says is that find that joy in giving even when you're in the midst of trial and poverty. Just be generous to your neighbors because that's what Jesus is calling you to do. Amen? Pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity for us to gather together. Father, we praise you for the generosity that you showed when you left heaven to come to earth to adopt complete poverty on our behalf, Father, so that we might someday experience the riches of your glory. So, Father, just help us to be good Christ followers, to show compassion to our world, and to be generous toward our neighbors, Father, because it's what you would have us do. Thank you for the blessings that you have given us. Keep challenging us to steward those better in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen.